0: As we turn to our passage of Scripture today, found in Philippians 4, and I hope you'll turn there in your bulletin insert, because we'll use this as a unison reading as you're finding that, I do want to give a little bit of an introduction. We're beginning a four-part series today on revitalization. You may have already heard me speak about that issue. Our denomination through the Board of Outreach North America has a process of revitalization uh, that they offer to churches and back in the fall in October our our elders and deacons and women's ministries board members all met together and had a discussion about this process of revitalization and decided then that this would be a good thing uh, for our church to undertake and in the Board of Outreach North America, they uh, give four uh, basic disciplines that are important for church vitalization. And those are preemptive prayer, basic Bible, cost commitment, and missional multiplication. And so what we're going to do the next four weeks is take a look at each of those basic disciplines, one per Sunday, and so today, of course, is the first preemptive prayer. And uh, we find our text in Philippians 4. By the way, this process of revitalization will begin later this year and will go approximately 18 months. It's an 18-month process and begins with the work of a vision team. And so uh, you'll be hearing more about that as the year goes on, but I wanted to give you this brief introduction through this four-part series to the basic components of what we'll be doing together as a congregation. So with that in mind, let's read the Word of God together, beginning at Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a Christian music group on the radio. If you ever listen to 91.9 or WMIT out of Black Mountain, you'll hear a group from time to time called Casting Crowns. And they have a song out that's entitled Slow Fade. And it's a song about the compromises we make in our lives, or at least that's the way I hear the song. In other words, if we consistently make compromises... Spiritually and morally speaking, then instead of growing in our faith, we are moving backwards. We are regressing. What the songwriter refers to as a slow fade. And I want you to hear the words of the refrain of that song It's a slow fade when you give yourself away, it's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Now think about that last line People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. How true that is. And that may remind us of a verse we find in Isaiah 49 where God says, Your walls are continually before me. That's a strange thing for God to say to His people, isn't it? Let me give you just a little more of that passage in Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget God talking about nursing mothers, even these may forget, but I won't forget. Behold, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. That's God's way of reminding us that He has a great care and love for us through this analogy of a a nursing mother, but He's also making the point that He has a plan for our lives, much like an architect would have a plan before Him or before her of the things that they hoped to accomplish, that they hoped to build. God is like that for you and me. He wants to build us up as His children. You know, Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 4 where he's talking about the church at large and the gifts that God gives to His church in Jesus with the desire that we grow up into every way, into Him who is the head, into Christ Himself. But let's go back to how God spoke about this to the prophet Isaiah in referring to how our walls are ever before Him. In other words, our lives are like walls. Now think about that. If you see a wall falling down... You know, sometimes when you go out through the country, you'll see walls that are crumbling. Is it because they weren't built properly in the first place? Usually, it's, it's due to neglect. That's why walls fall down. Think about the brick walls around this sanctuary. They've been here for some 115 years, and we think that's a long time, and it is. I don't plan on living that long but are these walls going to stand forever? No, we have to work on them periodically, don't we? Like we did a few years ago during our renovation where we paid a company to come in and to clean and to to repoint, to put mortar where mortar had fallen out or had worn away. We can't just neglect something and expect it to be there forever. In our own hearts and lives, we see the evidence of many things that keep us from growing in the faith and becoming more and more like Jesus. We can see the results of the neglect of our faith. If we neglect spending time in God's Word, neglect prayer, if we neglect worshiping our God and singing His praises, we begin to see signs of that. There's selfishness and and procrastination. There's a lack of discipline. There's an unwillingness to spend time with God. Sometimes there's all-out rebellion and a, a love of self over God. All of these and more speak to us of our need for renewal and for restoration, our need to be revitalized. And we come this realization about our own spiritual lives, we also come to it about ourselves as a congregation. As I told you earlier, the officers of the church talked about this back in the fall. And all agree that revitalization is needed in the life of our church. Does that mean we're a bad congregation? No, but we always need to be Revived, We always need revitalization. There's always more that we can learn and know in the Christian life and be to the honor and glory of God the Father. And since this is true, what do we do? You know, Americans always want to do something. How do we begin to hopefully bring about renewal or revitalization in our own hearts, much less this congregation, especially since Scripture teaches us that such a task is beyond our ability to accomplish. Revitalization comes from the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's the only way it can come. You and I can't just set up some kind of one, two, three, four, five that we do to make this possible. And yet I say all of that. And I want you to hear that I think we find an answer to some extent. Of what to do. In our passage of scripture this morning. Where Paul says in everything by prayer. And supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. What a, what a great attitude Paul has there. In every single thing you see Paul's answer to whatever life throws at us prayer is the answer Paul says in everything pray and scripture makes it so easy we don't have to ask a hundred different questions to see if prayer is the, the the one answer to some specific need that we have prayer is always the answer We see this attitude of of preemptive prayer, this discipline, if you will, here in Philippians 4. In everything we pray, we just naturally carry that attitude with us everywhere we go and how we live each day. This means that in the good times and in the joyful times, what do we do? We pray. This means that in the hard times, what do we do? We pray. When we're under persecution, which is the problem which the Philippian congregation was having, we pray. When our lives are a total ruin, when we seemingly think nothing else bad can happen to me because it's already all rained down upon me, we pray. And even when we think, we don't want to pray. When we think we cannot pray, we pray. Paul knows what he's talking about. Remember, as he writes these words about rejoicing in the Lord and about in everything, pray, he's sitting there in prison for his faith. And it's interesting, that's how he begins these few verses, talking about the need to rejoice in the Lord. This is... Paul's attitude as he prays because of those three little words that make such a difference in the Lord. It's the faith which the Philippians have in Christ Jesus which makes this call to rejoice both practical and realistic, especially as they're facing persecution. In other words, we can see that this is an appeal to faith to believe that God is sovereign regardless of what happens. You know, if you believe God's in control, then you will pray. It doesn't matter what's taking place in your life because you know that God has your best in mind, that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. And that's the reason this is important, because of the effect that faith has upon us. Faith does lots of things for us, but one thing it does for sure is that it teaches us to cast all our cares on the Lord, to go to Him in prayer. It's interesting, in Romans 12, Paul talks there about using the gifts that God has given us, each according to the measure of faith given to us. And right after that, he talks about all these things we should be doing automatically because of what God has given unto us, hating what is evil, holding fast to what is good, rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation. And he ends that little list there by saying being constant in prayer. This is something as Christian people we're to be about, constant in prayer. Here in Philippians 4, he says, In everything, pray. If that's not enough, we have turned to Ephesians 6.18 where he says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Or think about Colossians 4.2 where we're told to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And that's just in the New Testament, and there are more. You know, we can turn to the Old Testament and see where God's people pray to Him over and over, whether it's Moses, whether it's Samuel the prophet, whether it's David, whether it's Daniel the prophet. Or we can turn to a, a famous verse that many of us probably know, like 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, God says, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their prayers, and I will forgive them their sins, and I will heal their land. We see in that verse the call to prayer exactly in a time when when revival and revitalization are needed. Or think of the great leader that we see in the Old Testament by the name of Nehemiah. As we come to that book, we see the the walls of Jerusalem are in ruins. They have literally crumbled because of neglect. Now, you might be thinking, well, I thought it was because of war. I thought, well, that's why God allowed the war in the first place. That's why He allowed Jerusalem to be overrun, to be ransacked, to be burned, because the people, His people, had, had not paid attention to their relationship with God. They had neglected their faith. And when Nehemiah, who's cupbearer to the king of the Persian Empire, hears of the strife of his people in the land of his fathers, if you've read that book, do you remember what he does? We find it right there at the beginning of Nehemiah 1. He says, I sat down and wept, and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And if you take the time to read his prayer, Nehemiah begins by confessing sin. He confesses his own sins, and then he confesses for the sins of his people. And then he continues to pray, reminding God of his promises, using Scripture that God has sent to his people of what he hopes God will accomplish for them in the future. You see, Nehemiah knows that a great work is needed, and in all of that prayer, he's trying to figure out what part he might take in that work, but he knows that he can't do it himself, whatever it is. Whatever God calls him to do, he knows he can't do it by himself. Even someone as influential a person as he is, who has the ear of the king of the most, the strongest empire in the world, he knows he can't do it. That's why he prays, confessing his sins, and he prays for guidance and correction. And I think that if we truly want restoral and and restoration to happen, renewal in this place, in this place as a church, and in this place, and our own individual hearts, we need to follow Nehemiah's example. We need to confess our own sins and then pray expectantly relying on the promises of God. We need to follow Paul's words here in our passage that in everything we pray. That this attitude of thankful prayer might permeate our lives each and every day. In fact, had Paul been writing to a a Jewish congregation instead of a bunch of Greeks, he might have said something like, let your requests be made known to God in everything pray, just like Nehemiah did. Because Nehemiah is a great example of a man of prayer. In fact, if you read his short book, which is only 13 chapters, you'll see that in six of those 13 chapters, there are prayers by Nehemiah to God. And some of them have more than one prayer. But I just wonder if we follow His example. Is that our first thought? When we see some need in our own lives or that of the church, do we pray first and then try and ascertain what God would have us do? Or do we try and figure out some solution that we think would work and then ask God to bless it? Now which of those two approaches do you think we normally use? I think it's the latter. And that's not what Scripture teaches. That is not the discipline of preemptive prayer for us to come up with some solution on our own and then ask God to bless it. How do we know if that's His will for us or not? If we haven't already spent time in prayer. So I propose that as we move toward this process of revitalization in the days ahead that we we put this principle of preemptive prayer into action because this will help us immensely as a congregation but will also aid in our own spiritual growth as individuals. And as we do this, then we'll begin to see some of the benefits of prayer, of that kind of prayer at work, in our lives, one of which Paul mentions in our text here. Remember, he says, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a military term he's using there, will guard will guard your hearts and minds, the peace of God will. You see, as you pray in everything, as I pray in everything, God's peace comes in and guards our hearts from all those things in the world that will try and take us down from every kind of anxiety we can name, whether it's fear or worry or doubt or whatever it happens to be. In other words, spending time with God in all situations helps helps us to calm down. Prayer is the best way for removing any kind of anxiety that we have in our lives. Why do you think Jesus spent so much time in prayer the night before His crucifixion? He was getting ready literally to go through hell for you and me and for the sins of this world. And prayer was the only answer for his great need. God's peace guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But prayer also does some other things for us. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but as we can see in Nehemiah's example, prayer helps us to wait. You know, there are lots of times we need to wait. We need to wait. On the Lord. Think how many times in the book of Psalms alone we see that phrase, wait on the Lord. It's so important. That's what Nehemiah did. He was busy praying. So he didn't just jump up and go and see if his king would let him leave for who knows how long to see about his homeland. He prayed. That gave God time, I believe. To work in his king's heart. To allow him to say, yes, just go. Take as much time as you need. Work in Jerusalem all you want. As Chuck Swindoll puts it, prayer helps us to wait because we can't pray and work at the same time. And most of the time, prayer is more important than whatever work we're to be about. Prayer also helps us to clear our vision. Think about Paul during his second missionary journey in Acts 16. We read about that trip and we read where he and his missionary team want to go north of Asia, but we're told the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go that way. In other words, if you read between the lines, they were doing a lot of praying, trying to figure out where God wanted them to go. They just couldn't figure it out. And finally, this is where Paul has his vision that night of a man in Macedonia saying, Come over and help us. And Paul and his team, they immediately sail for Macedonia, for Greece. And the third city they land in is Philippi. And you remember how the Holy Spirit helps them to form a church there with Lydia and that other group of people that were outside of the town? On that, on that day, the very church to whom Paul writes these words, in everything, pray. So prayer clears our vision. It helps us to know God's will. And finally, prayer activates our faith. After praying, we're typically more ready to trust In God, we truly can see that He's sovereign and in control. Prayer is the first thing Nehemiah did in his journey to help revitalize Jerusalem. Prayer is something Paul believed in practicing constantly. We have to ask ourselves are are we the same? Is prayer the first thought in our minds, regardless of what happens? Remember, God doesn't say He might hear our prayers or He'll think about hearing our prayers. He says there in 2 Chronicles 7, if we humble ourselves, if we truly repent, that is, turn from the things and the sins that are holding us back and turn toward Him, He says, I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. He'll heal right where you and I live. What a wonderful thought that is. May God bless us to that end. To His honor and glory as we put this principle of preemptive prayer into practice. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank You for the gift of prayer and we confess that we do believe in prayer, that we many times use prayer, but often it's, it's when we need something. It's when we're having some kind of problem or challenge and we come to You and, and ask for what we think. We need. We pray that you would help us to see this principle of preemptive prayer for what it is, that it's a way of life, and that it matches these words of Paul when he says, In everything, pray. May we learn that in our own hearts and minds, and in our own practice as we go about our faith each day. And we pray that we might show that discipline to our children, to our young people, to our grandchildren, that they might see an example that says, well, first, let's pray about this. We thank you for all the many prayers that we can find in Scripture. We thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus who was always going off to be by himself in order to pray. And we thank you for the way in which your Holy Spirit will hopefully create within our hearts the desire to have this same attitude about prayer. We thank you too, dear Father, for your willingness to hear us and to listen to our prayers. And we do pray that we would come with an attitude of humility and one in which we seek to turn from those sins that hold us down. And they keep us from being light in this dark world. We're thankful for your watchfulness over us. We're thankful for your healing power at work in the lives of those who are sick and those who would love to be at this place of worship today but are are hindered because of their health. We pray for their healing and for your comfort to be upon them. We continue to pray for your peace and assurance for those who have lost loved ones and are still dealing with grief. We thank you for your safety and protection for our children and our young people and that you'll continue to keep them safe and well and help them as they seek uh, to grow in their lives. We thank you for the communicants class that met for the first time this morning. Thank you for their energy and their enthusiasm uh, for the way in which uh, they are seeking to learn more about you and what it means to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the way in which uh, you continue to be with our homebound folks. Pray that they might feel uh, your presence and your warmth and love through those of us who Reach out to them with calls and visits and cards. And as always, we continue to pray for our men and women of the armed services and for their safety. We pray for the protection of our missionaries and all those brothers and sisters in the faith who live in lands where they're persecuted for their faith. Indeed, may they know how to pray in all things. And as always, we thank you for your presence in our midst today and for each one here and for the work that you do in our lives each and every day and for uh, the way that you will hopefully find us faithful to your work in these days to come. And we'd ask your blessing upon us to that end, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We do want to reaffirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. They're printed for you in your bulletin. Let's stand together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We have a psalm of dedication this morning found in your blue psalters number 143B. O Lord, my spirit fails. Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and remain with you forevermore. Amen.